0: Saxon is
1: seven years old, so you might think she's too young to have an RV. But you'd be wrong. Her grandfather, Rick, is a bit of an RV fanatic, thinks about RVs and camping all the time. And he chose an RV that he thought Saxon and her little sister Goldie would really love. It's got a special place for the girls to sleep. And the great outdoors? Well, it's just outside waiting to be explored. Isn't that what camping's all about? but Saxon has a good head on her shoulders. She knows you'll find a better selection of makes, models, and years at No Bull RV, more than she could find at any new RV store anywhere. Ain't that right, Saxon?
0: That's right, Uncle Bob.
1: And Noble RV has so many, they opened a second store just to hold them all. Right, Saxon?
0: Why didn't you tell me camping was so much fun?
1: Enjoying the great outdoors with the ones you love is the best time of your life. And it's our job to help you make the most of every single minute. And that's Noble. NobleRV.ca.
0: Welcome to the Empire Builders Podcast. Dave Young here, along with Stephen Semple. Stephen, when you told me what the topic of today's podcast is, I immediately thought of commercials that they do. And we're talking about Dyson today, so the company that makes the vacuum cleaners and fans. I, I assume other things, but I've read a little bit about Is it. Is it Stephen Dyson? Is that his name? No, it's James Dyson. James
2: Dyson. You're so You're close. You're Stephen. <laughs> <Temple. laughs> you know, I really should make fun of... Remembering names because I'm terrible at it. So
0: (laughs) He doesn't care as long as we remember the last name, which is Dyson.
2: That's it. Yeah, so Dyson was founded by James Dyson on July 8th, 1991. And you're right. They make vacuum cleaners and hand dryers and air purifiers and all all sorts of stuff. And they sell over $8 billion of this stuff. They have 13,000 employees and they're still privately held. They're still a privately held company, which is really unusual, really quite remarkable. They're really best known for their vacuums. And that was the first product. That's what we're going to talk about today because it's really interesting. And you'll notice this parallel, some other things we've talked about, story about how this vacuum all came about.
0: So here's a guy, he's British, right? Correct. Here's a guy sitting, saying to himself, all these other vacuum cleaners suck but not enough.
2: Correct, that's exactly (laughs) it. That is exactly it. And the interesting thing is, James Dyson did a lot of innovation and he really kind of considers himself this amateur engineer, so yes. And what he means by that is he would look at a product and he'd go, this product is not good, how can I improve it? But you would think somebody who thinks that way and has that background, You would think that he went to university for science, right? Like engineering or math or something along that lines. And he didn't? He did not. He did the arts and classics in university. No kidding. Yes, and what drives me crazy, and he'll even say it, so many people frown on the arts and classics in terms of an education, because it's not practical. But he'll tell you, a lot of his thinking came from that degree in terms of how he looks at the world. So while he was in university for the classics, he discovered design. And in the mid 60s, design was not being talked about at all. And when he was told what it was, he became really interested. So he went to the Royal College of Art and he studied furniture and then architectural design. But at his heart, he still considers himself a very much an amateur engineer. Again, you know, he looks at things and he says, how can I make it better? So mm-hmm. in 1974, so remember, the company was founded in 1991. 1974, he buys a Hoover Jr. vacuum. So it's 17 years before founding of Dyson. This is one of those upright vacuum cleaners. It's got the pillow sort of case thing yeah, hanging yeah. off the, the back. The yeah, big
0: nasty bag that you put in there and yeah. sip it up. And
2: he, yeah, and he hated using it. Hated the smell. Then you have to shake out the bag, and it lost suction. So they had that for a while, then along came a family, they started to have a family and he said, we need a better vacuum. So he went out and he bought one of those canister models, you know, those little round ones that sat on the floor and they were considered the best around. And this time it had a paper bag rather than, you know, that pillow thing, but it was the same problem. And he started to really look at it, took it apart. And here's the problem. All the airflow goes through the bag and the bag is the filter. So as it filters stuff, it loses suction. There's just no way- Yeah, it's going to
0: start losing from the very beginning.
2: Losing from the beginning. As soon as you put in a new bag, it's good suction for a little while. And then the performance declines as you use it. Now, around the same time, he was working on his ball barrel company. So he had invented this wheelbarrow that instead of wheel in the front, had this big ball bearing in the front. And he was frustrated with the filtration system that they had at the factory. It was constantly having to be stopped and had to be taken apart. The filters had to be removed and new filters had to be put in. So he decided to upgrade to this cyclone system that didn't use a filter, right? And he thinks to himself, what if I could downsize the cyclone and use it in a vacuum?
0: I mean, they've been using cyclonic filters for things like trucks, you know.
2: It had been used for a lot of things. So he thinks to himself, well, what if I could downsize this and use it in the vacuum? He goes home and he makes this cardboard version. He puts it in the back of the vacuum and it appears to work. So he offers Mm -hmm. the idea to the ball bearing company. He goes to the ball bearing company and the company says to him, if there was a better vacuum idea out there, one of the big vacuum companies would have already done it. (laughs) Which is so interesting because how many times do we see In this podcast, you know, we've been doing this for over a year now. How many times have we seen that the stories are from people who are outside the industry? So far, all of them except one, (laughs) right? So he goes back to his old mentor, Jeremy Fry, and Jeremy Fry backs the idea and they become partners. And Dyson starts to work full time on creating this new vacuum. Now, one of the first problems was industrial cyclones are good to 20 microns. And household dust is much finer and smaller than that. And there's these complicated mathematical formulas around cyclones that he just can't figure out. So he recruits five different people to help him do the calculation. And he gets five different answers. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of interesting. As you know, David, I used to work in the financial services industry and I was a portfolio manager. I worked with my wife in the industry and she was... And engineer and very mathematically inclined we actually created some mathematical models for managing money and what would be really interesting is she and I would do a calculation and we would come to the same answer and we would go completely different routes. (laughs) Mm. So I get this whole thing of when math gets complicated, it's interesting how it's not always one answer or even one direction. He gets these five people to help him and they end up with these five different answers. And so he thinks to himself, okay, I'm just going to have to tinker with this. It's going to take me a year. I'll create a new vacuum. So he decides to do experimentations. He does 5,000... 126 different iterations, one change at a time before he cracks the problem. Wow. Yeah, it was a slow, slow process. And at this time, he's working it's, full is time. Is that 5,000
0: prototypes, or did he have something that he could change a little bit?
2: It was, you would change a little bit, measure, yeah. change a little bit, measure, but still 5,126 of these little changes. And he believed in, you did one change in test, do one change in test, because if you do two, you don't know which one yielded yeah. so
0: he's following strictly following the scientific method and making he's the...
2: following the scientific method and it's a slow slow process so he's doing this full time it's not making any money he had some land that he sold then he got into some debt and then he bet the house he went and he put a mortgage on the house and there was no plan b he did not actually know whether this would work he hoped it would then one day eureka got the solution, now has a better mousetrap. He looked at it and said, he and Jeremy, they were designers, not commercial people. So what their first thought was, let's license this idea to the manufacturers. So mm-hmm. he spent an, an additional six years trying to do licensing. Everyone turned them down.
0: They're making too much money selling bags is the problem.
2: That's one of the problems. One of the problems is there's no bag and part of where they're making money is a bag. The other problem is consumers are not asking for a better product. So basically companies are saying they're satisfied with our product. So he's now Mm -hmm. at this point invested like 10 or 11 years between development and trying to get it licensed. And he did get a couple of little licensing agreements that really didn't work out. So he needs to change the plan.
0: Stay tuned, we're gonna wrap up this story and tell you how to apply this lesson to your business right after this.
3: Two words, lead flow. If you wanna grow your business, lead flow is, well, not everything, but it sure can feel that way. You feel the need? The need for leads. And then there's the gnawing questions that plague you whenever you try to boost lead flow. Are you targeting the right customer? Are you saying the right things? Are you advertising in the right places? Are you spending too much or too little? And the ever-present, how can I best use social media? What if you could get those questions answered definitively in 90 minutes? You'd no longer feel the need for leads because now you'd know how to get them. That's what Empire Builders is offering you right now for free and with a guarantee to boot. Go to empirebuildersprogram.com, book a 90-minute Zoom meeting with the Empire Building Expert and boom! Questions answered, problems solved. We'll give you the real answers, guaranteed. Guaranteed. Yes, our famous no pitching and no bitching guarantee. First, we won't pitch you at all, seriously.
2: If you want to work with us beyond our meeting, you'll have to explicitly ask about moving forward. And the bitching part?
3: If you're not satisfied with the answers, say the word. And I'll pay you cold hard cash for your wasted time, no
2: hard feelings.
3: Now that's a guarantee. Look empire builders take
2: action if lead flow is an issue for you take action on it
3: book your zoom meeting at empirebuildersprogram.com
0: let's pick up our story where we left off and trust me you haven't missed a thing
2: what he realized at this point is he needed to do it himself so he bought out his partner jeremy so here he is no factory no money no customer feedback No market research. How do you ask someone, do you want a vacuum with no bag? (laughs) The other thing was their vacuum had this clear area trapping the dirt. And research showed people don't want to see dirt. So all the vacuum (laughs) companies said, no one wants to see the dirt. Retailers refused to stock it because it's this strange looking machine. People can see the dust. And who's Dyson? And on top of that, like, because it's not Hoover, it's not any of these others. And on top of that, it's three to four times, three to 400% more expensive than any of the competitors. So Mm. retailers didn't want to stock it. But what he managed to do was get a few mail order catalogs to offer it. They were the first customers. And the funny thing is, a lot of people look at the mail order catalogs and they go, well, they're very lowbrow because it tends to go out to lower income households, certainly at that time. And- It's really easy to assume, as this is an expensive product, three to four times the price. How many times have we heard this, Dave? I have an expensive product, so therefore my market is rich people. (laughs) How many times have we heard that? All the time. Yeah, it's the natural step. That's the only people that can afford my product, so i got to market to the rich people. And this assumption is often wrong. If people want it, they will buy it. And in fact... That's exactly what happened because guess what? Rich people don't do vacuum. They don't vacuum. <laughs> right?
0: That somebody else does it for them.
2: And often, lower income households are very house proud.
0: And you're looking for people that hate
2: dirt. Looking for people who hate dirt and don't want to spend a lot of time doing it. That's yeah. what you're looking for. And if you can convince them you got the solution, they will pay for it. And it also turns out to be a very recession-proof item because it's more about the home. So you would think, well, this is an expensive item. It gets slaughtered in a recession. No, when you're trapped at home and you don't have money to go out, your home becomes more important. Your home being clean and all those other things becomes more important. Turned out actually to be a recession-proof business. One of the things he talks about is too many businesses he believes designed to a price. They sit there and go, mm-hmm. if we can make this at this price, we have a product. He's never designed to a price. He said, here's the dissatisfaction. Yeah. Figure out what you need to do. And whatever the price is, is the price. And if people are dissatisfied and you can now give them something that solves that problem, they'll pay for it. And that's what he's continually done over And over and over again.
0: You know what he's probably done? He's given his competitors room to raise their price too. You can buy Dyson products at Walmart. And I think about all the old stories. In fact, if you read Sam Walton's book, he talks about buying. When they're buying from manufacturers, they look at a product and go, if we can sell these for this price, how many do you think we could sell? Right. 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 And that's just backwards from what you just described Dyson doing.
2: Dyson goes the opposite direction.
0: Yeah, and yet Walmart sells those products. I bet you they didn't do it till they realized oh, he's selling them without us.
2: That's yeah. exactly it. In the comic that I wrote, you know, the one about how to raise prices, you know, one of the things uh-huh. I talk about is in that comic is you can have success being the most expensive in the marketplace. You can have success being the least expensive. Where the problem lies is in the middle. So you can make yeah. a lot of money being a Walmart, you can make a lot of money being a Dyson. It's the middle is where the challenge is. But here's the interesting thing, Dave. This story I just told, we've heard this story already. Think about it. I see this problem. I'm going to fix it in a year. I'm going to do thousands of iterations. I'm then going to have the solution. I'm then going to go out and license it. No one will license it for me. And I'm then going to sell it through mail order catalogs. This is Leatherman. Mm-hmm. This is the Leatherman story. Yeah, So part of the reason why we tell these stories is one of the things that's incredible when I was reading this going, we've heard this story. <laughs> this is a Leatherman story. So to me, the lesson in here is this whole idea of licensing can be really challenging. And the faster that we can go to the consumer, the better off I think we often are. And he didn't bother with any focus groups. Well, you know, if we go back to the story of Walkman, the focus group said the Walkman would never work. No one wants that, because the focus group said, we want all these other features. And they said, no, no no, people don't. So this is the issue. And don't be afraid to charge a premium price. Don't be afraid Mm -hmm. of that. And don't assume a premium price automatically meets it's a wealthy consumer. There was a sidebar story I also came across when it came to Dyson that was really interesting. Dyson had also created a washing machine that had failed. And the interesting thing in this story is James Dyson is completely convinced that why it failed is they didn't charge enough. This washing machine could take a big load. It could wash very quickly at a low temperature. In fact, one of the things, when they were studying washing, what Dyson notices hand washing is actually more effective than machine washing because of the way things agitate. So Mm. they created this washing machine that could do low temperature quickly. And this is the, you're gonna love this one, David. This is the only time you listen to the marketing department saying, If we charge less, we will sell more. And Mm -hmm. what I'm saying is, James, you should have hired us.
0: Charge more, sell more.
2: Because we never say that to customers, that you should charge Mm -hmm. less, ever. We are a firm believer in charge that premium price and just make people want your product. But it's really interesting that the one time they tried to do the price thing, let's do price, it failed.
0: Yeah, I hope he got rid of those people.
2: Yeah, I don't know, but I hope so. Probably
0: <laughs> not. <laughs> Probably not. I think an interesting part of this, Stephen, is that all these stories that we're telling, when you say that we've heard this story before with Leatherman, you could say that there are aspects of this story that we heard with, we didn't do an episode on it, but reminds me of Thomas Edison. It mm-hmm. reminds me of Ford. The Model T was the Model T because there was a Model A, B, C, D, E, all, <laughs> all the way down to T before he... Got the Model T all finished up. And so all these stories have been told before. You don't need to reinvent a new story. You need to look at all the stories and figure out the one that fits the product or service that you're trying to build and just tell that story again.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. And it's also really interesting on this, again, it was one of those ones where he drew his inspiration from looking outside. You know, it was like, look, there's this thing for filtering air in the factory. What if I applied that to this vacuum that frustrates me? You know, it's always interesting that this innovation and these ideas always come from outside of your space. And the people who change an in industry, because we see now lots of vacuum cleaners yeah. in this style is almost always somebody from outside of the industry.
0: Anybody that's thought one of you love not having a bag.
2: Yeah, you do. Yeah, at the end of the day, you do.
0: We've got one for upstairs and one for for the main floor because we don't like carrying it up and down. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) (laughs) All right, this was awesome. Thanks, David. Thank you, Steven. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Please share us. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app and leave us a big, fat, juicy five-star rating and review. And if you have any questions about this or any other podcast episode, email to questions at the Empire Builders